welcome to The Little Breakfast. I'm pleased to say that on this episode, I'm joined by Ali Gordon. Hi, Ali. How are you? Hi, Clive. Yeah, do fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you along. And uh, we're going to be talking a bit about art this morning. Um, but before we do that, as traditional on The Little Breakfast, because we talk a little bit about breakfast, believe it or not, uh, before we talk about nice. the subject, is going to be just getting a bit of an insight into your life and your colouring okay. delights. So what's an average breakfast look like for you, Ali? Average breakfast for me, um, it's quite traditional. So it's cereal and a bit of fruit on the top, cup of coffee, and perchance a poached egg as well, if I've been out for the run beforehand. Is, is that in the coffee or on the muesli? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's usually toast involved with that as well. Is the egg yeah. to the side on a plate as well as the muesli, is it, or is it just one or the other? Oh, definitely on the side. Yes, oh, okay. as a plate. Now I talk. Now I think about it. That's quite a big breakfast, actually, isn't it? That's yeah, like a that's yeah, yeah. hobbit-sized breakfast. Yeah, it's not so much the little breakfast, but more the big breakfast. So, um, <laughs> what about um, your dream breakfast? If you had loads of time, what would you Ooh. eat? Oh, um, yes. Okay, so there's definitely bacon in there. There's eggs in there. Um, there'd be coffee. There yeah. would be croissant. I think involved with that as well. Orange juice. Yeah. What about um, Perchance a sausage. Yes, actually, it would be those square sausages, um, which we can't get down here in London. I'm talking to you from London. Yeah. And um, the old Lorne sausage. Do you remember right. the Lorne sausage? Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it well. I live in Edinburgh, so I can get them any time of day. <laughs> well, maybe you could send one down. We That's can't right. get them. Maybe we should send a food parcel, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you could probably you want... quite literally put a, a stamp on it, couldn't you, and send it oh, through the post? yeah. Do you, do you want to describe actually what they are? There may be people in different parts of the world that are wondering, what are you talking about? Oh, yes, right. Okay, well, for the uninitiated on the Lawrence sausage, it's basically a flat, square sausage. Yeah. So um, it's weird. I've never seen them outside of Scotland. It, it seems to be yeah. a uniquely Scottish thing, but um, they tend to be quite grisly as well. You know, the, the meat yeah. is not the finest cut I just wonder, animal. as you're talking about that, I mean, yeah, yeah. when I, when I you, you describe it as a sausage, it's not the same shape as a sausage, but it doesn't really taste like a sausage either, does it? No, it, it doesn't. Um, it sort of looks a bit more like a, a beef burger that someone's cut from a circle into a square <laughs> shape, and it, it sort of tastes a bit more like that. People are intrigued, but um, it's probably not brilliant for your cholesterol, so have, have, a, yeah. have one and then move on, I would say. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure somebody, I'm sure somebody's selling them somewhere. There's probably an expat Scots greasy fry in London somewhere. I would love to find that. I, I've yet to find a Lauren sausage in London, the, uh, the wow. lonely Lauren sausage of London. If someone knows where I can find one, yeah. what's your Twitter handle or your Instagram? Yes, hashtag Lauren Sausage. <laughs> yeah, hashtag Lauren Sausage. So we're going to be talking. Um, a bit about art today and uh, before we speak specifically about art um, it'd be yeah. great if you could tell folks a bit about uh, what you do yourself in relation to art yeah well I work as a, a painter I am an artist and I'm sitting right now in my studio in South London and I make paintings and they they draw from a tradition of still life so I paint objects things rather than people um a bit easier they sit still for longer <laughs> and um you know i tend to paint things that are normally left behind the, the detritus 
of life. And yeah. for me, as a Christian, there's, um, there's, there's an interest, there's a concern there for, for things that are broken or lost in the world and, and the process of pain for mm. me is a way of finding hope and goodness and new creation uh, in them. But I'm also, I'm, I run a charity um, with a couple of friends. I'm co-director of Morphe Arts, um, mm. which of course you were a trustee of, Clive, which you're yes, really glad it, of. Yeah, big up the Morphe Arts. Big up Morphe. So we work with artists right across the creative disciplines, musicians, actors, writers, painters, and the whole gamut, but particularly people at early career. And um, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're supporting artists who are thinking about things of Christian faith in contemporary arts. Um, so artists who are professional artists, not so much artists who are making work for churches, but in the mainstream professional arts. And we're seeking to create a credible voice for Christian faith in the professional arts. Yeah, it's great. And you're doing a great job there. And it's been really interesting uh, in lockdown, hasn't it? Because there's maybe yeah. a couple of stories that you want to share about how, uh, I mean, you've tended to work locally in London and up mm. in Scotland, um, mm. but it's gone a bit, it's taken a different shape, hasn't it, in lockdown in terms of Zoom oh, and the yeah. internet. Do you want to just share a bit about that? I honestly, I don't think we could have predicted what the last couple of months would have looked like uh, for us as an organization well who could eh you know who could have predicted the last couple of months yeah um yes we've been up until lockdown we've we've run gatherings locally in london in scotland and from time to time a national conference um as well and, and events further across europe but since lockdown we've put our program online so we've been running these monthly short lectures called the Make Good Lecture, uh, talking about why art matters in times of crisis, why stories matter in times of crisis, how art can help us to lament and grieve and help us look for things of beauty in a broken world, how, how art can have a political edge to it as well. And they've all been happening through Zoom. And we've had, you know, we've had over 100 people at these events. And normally we'd have 30 or 40 maximum, but We've had folks coming in from the United States, from South Africa, from across Europe, and it's been humbling and incredibly encouraging to, to see that reach extend. So we'll certainly continue that, and probably after lockdown is eased, we'll continue that. And mm. it, shows, you know, it shows a need. It shows a thirst that people are thinking about the arts at the moment that have been so affected by the lockdown and mm. thinking about God's voice there in the arts. And as an artist, you've been very much aware of the fact that there are needs for artists in this yeah. crisis. And um, you've been involved in setting up a fund, haven't you? We have. One of the, the first things that you know hit artists is all the gigs were cancelled and the galleries were, were closed and the theatres were closed and all the people we work with, which is about 450, 500 folks, um, you know, suddenly everyone's out of work. All the artists are out of work and... Um, so struggling to pay the rent, pay the bills. And then with that come the, the emotional, the psychological concerns, the anxiety, um, levels of depression. Um, and, and with all that comes the spiritual need as well. You know, God, where are you in the mix of this? Please help us. So, mm. um, yeah, we've been doing a few things to support artists at the moment. One of them is we set up the Benevolent Fund, an artist benevolent fund, and offering small grants to artists on the, on the breadline and the deadline. Um, it's been crowdfunded, so funded by the public. 
And um, amazingly, you know, we set out to raise about £4,000. And we've we've raised about £24,000, mm. God's grace. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, that's been great. Um, yeah, and then we've been meeting to pray in the mornings as well. Um, so this has been a really wonderful outworking of a, an awful situation where when lockdown started, when was it, 79 days ago, we decided to meet as a group online through Zoom to pray, to pray for the world, to pray for the arts, to pray for ourselves. And, and we said we pray for a week, but that, that group have, have committed to daily prayer since lockdown began. And it's been a beautiful and emotional journey to be with these people of God, meeting just for half an hour every morning. We light a candle, we pray, we pray for a world for one another. And uh, yeah, it, it, God is calling us to prayer and to lean on him during these times. And it's been extraordinary to be part of that. Yeah, that sounds really good. And uh, it's amazing how what can be a difficult situation, which it obviously is around the world for many people, and we don't want to yeah. obviously underplay that, but there's also creative and new opportunities and ways of building community that have come out of this uh, in a way that I guess if we were all running around busy, busy as we were, um, we may have yes. missed these opportunities. So it's it's amazing to see how that, that change of kind of pace and rhythm has brought about new things, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yes, not to belittle the struggle by any means at all and those who yeah. are suffering greatly. You know, in that prayer group, we've been praying with folks who've lost loved ones and um, who've been desperately ill with the virus, but then with other related issues who've lost work. And, you know, we've carried one another's burden and placed them at the foot of the cross yeah. together. But more recently, one of the blessings is that we're learning to, to listen. And, and as life has slowed down, a little bit um we're listening to god mm. together so yeah extraordinary how god can work even in the brokenness and in the darkness we can still hear that still voice so speaking specifically a bit about art now and particularly from a kind of christian worldview when we think about art or when christians think about art or when people who are not christians think about Christians producing art there can be some stereotypes some of which is that Christians making art may produce things that are um, of scripture like have John 3 16 mm. written on it or Christians mm. may paint scenes of the bible like the woman at the well or the good Samaritan mm. and I know that you are not the kind of artist that uh, produces art like that Mm, that's right. There is mm. some religious art that we would say um, has been done very well, and there's quite a lot that, that isn't, and there's a bit of kitsch. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. People put happens. up on, on their fridges, fridge magnets, and what have you. But yeah. um, so, yes. why haven't you gone down that route, and why do you think people feel the need to go down that route? Yeah, I, you know, I do understand it. I get it, and um, art is a communicative tool. You know, it's like a language. You can say things through, through art and you can tell your story and share a message. And as Christians, we, we have that, that priority and that burden to share the gospel and to talk about Jesus. And it totally stands to the figure that, that Christians who are artists would want to make paintings that have Bible verses in. They're like illustrations of Bible stories or 
that, that are specifically about why Jesus died and, and rose again. And mm. uh, all these things to be commended when done well. It's kind of interesting how sometimes they get a bit sort of kitsch and a bit, a bit naff. And I think there's reasons for that. Maybe that's another conversation in itself. But, you know, the psalmist writes that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that there's no subject that is out with of the, the sovereignty of Christ. And as a Christian who is an artist, you are free to make work on as, as rich a variety of subjects, as rainbow rich, in fact, as the creation itself. So it is equally Christian to make a painting that is a portrait of your father. Um, or is it equally Christian to make a to write a poem about how the water falls on concrete or to write about um, political protests that are happening at the moment. You know, all these things are part of, are, are under the sovereignty of Christ and are available for us to make work about. So we are free to make work on a variety of subjects. Yeah, do you think that it's potentially a sort of reduced gospel in the sense that um, we tend to focus on redemption only and we don't mm. think about creation and for you know that meta-narrative that big picture that we see throughout the bible and yeah. as, as we move towards all things being made new as well in terms of the new creation are we just sort of um, or, or people tempted just to deal with that sort of redemption aspect yeah i think that, that is a, a flaw particularly if i can say in evangelicalism of which i i'm a part of that that group and tribe i am an evangelical myself but we our conversation in art tends to begin with the theology of redemption. And, um, you know, we remember as we read the, the, the sweep of scripture, scripture begins with creation story. And there's a lot to be said within how things are made, how they're designed, how we should live and function. Um, we also see in scripture the, the theology of fall, brokenness, sinfulness in the world. And there's a you know, a wonderful, rich Christian tradition of lament, of deep sorrow through art to, to weep the brokenness of the world. Um, we also uh, talk about redemption and we talk about new creation as well. What's yet to come? You know, how is God making all things new, not just in the future, but how do we see glimpses of new creation today? Um, the... Uh, uh, and the Apostle Paul, he, he writes about how we, we see new creation, but as if reflected in a mirror, um, that we see it dimly as if in, in a mirror. And perhaps the role of the artist is to wipe that mirror, is to, to polish that mirror, that we might see new creation with greater clarity. Or another way of thinking about it is a bit like how Jesus said that he's preparing a house for us the new creation is a home and there are rooms there we're going to have one and it's going to be a really beautiful house that we're in and um, that house has windows and we can look through now and see glimmers glimpses of that new creation home and one role of the artist can be to wipe those windows to wipe the dirt and the smudges of fallenness and brokenness in the world that we can help people to look in and see have a glimpse of the new creation, the artist as a window cleaner of the new creation, if you yeah, like. That's a good image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I'm cleaning windows. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do as an artist. I clean windows. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm a window cleaner, yeah. Um, 
so some people might uh, say, great, Ali, I get that. Um, historically, in the church, maybe not going back that, that long, maybe back to the 60s and 70s and the 80s and 1980s, uh, people may have had a bit of an issue regarding what art is produced or what art even is. And when right, we think yeah. back to Hans Ruckmacher, for instance, uh, just yeah. a quote from him regarding modern art, and we'll have a bit mm. of a chat about that if it's okay. Um, yeah. Modern art did not just happen. It came as a result of a deep reversal of spiritual values in the age mm. of reason, a movement mm. that in the course of a little more than two centuries mm. changed the world. So... Yes. What's he getting out there and what are some people's objections regarding actually what art is and why some people struggle with different genres of art other than painting or drawing? Yes. Crikey, how long have we got, Clive? That's a big one. <laughs> Answers on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, there was a point, of course, historically where the art world, if we can describe it like that, was very closely aligned to theological concerns and specifically in the Western tradition of art with Christian concerns theologically. And there was a point as we, we track art history through early, mid to late enlightened thought where, where um, art became more aligned with secular thought and philosophy than it did with Christian thought. And there's various reasons for that, um, arguably one might be that the enlightened project to champion the things of reason and rationality, less so the things of the imagination. Um, and you know, it could be reason now why we get a bit suspicious about the imagination and we champion things of, of reason. But as the arts were more greatly aligned with um, modernist thought that in itself pulled away from Christian thought, you know, we see artists then making work that would stand against a, a Christian ideology. And maybe you throw into that mix that historically it was the church that commissioned uh, art. And a lot of the great art that we see now in our national museums, you know, where we're um, championed and sponsored and paid for by, by the church. But as the church withdrew its funding, um, and for various reasons, we could talk about the Reformation in that mix as well. And I, I sit in a Reformed tradition. I'm very glad to be um, a, a person of Reformed faith. But there we see a, an iconoclasm, several iconoclasm, where the image was, um, or where the, the word was favoured over, over the image. And where commissioning and championing of art became more the territory of the Roman Catholic Church than it was of the Protestant church and you could argue that we're still working through that that we're still reforming that the the, the twin um tidal waves of enlightenment and reformation that come together have led us to a situation now where where there's a split um you could argue between the art world and the church and the, james elkins who's professor of art in chicago describes it like a great chasm between the art world and the church. Um, I have to say my experience has been somewhat different. As a, you know, I talk from within the art world. I, I, I work as a professional artist. I'm not commissioned by the church. I'm, mm. I'm commissioned by the art world. And I see less that tension today than perhaps we might have seen 20 years ago. And certainly 
that the, the kind of situation that Hans Ruckmacher was talking about. There's been a lot of change since then, and I think a lot of bridges have been built, and there is more of um, what well, some of the bridges have just disappeared. And yeah. there's more of an openness to talking about things of faith. I, I mean, I would agree, and, and I think that's great. But I guess one of the, the lines of reason within that quote might be um, that the changing of what we deem to be art in terms of the methodology and it being visual art being more about painting and drawing was right. related to, I guess, a change of understanding of um, deep sort of spiritual values and as and as you were saying reason and, and I wonder yeah. whether that's that is almost a bit like hold on are you, are you deconstructing that yeah. which we know and so Damien Hirst for instance not in yeah. the same way but in, an, in another way as somebody who's a modern artist who clearly doesn't paint and, and, and draw in that way says I think I've always been afraid of painting really mm. right from the beginning all my paintings are about pointing without a painter like a kind mm. of mechanical form of painting and mm. um just for the listeners who, who maybe don't know you Damien Hirst has often produced these big uh, works including sort of uh, a cow I think it was wasn't it cut in half and and in and yeah bombed yeah. in in a, a massive cabinet um I actually really yeah. like his work um because I think it talks a lot about humanity I think it talks a lot about mortality yeah. and immortality and I think, uh, just as a sort of caveat before I get your response on this, my um, engagement with modern art, where I find it quite helpful is I think it's very conceptual and it often mm. has a very clear sort of communicative message about where the artist is going. Um, mm. I think of Damien Hirst's work on, on uh, food, for instance. There was an exhibition, mm. the Modern Art Gallery in Edinburgh a few years ago, where he had food displayed as um, as you would medicine in, in, in a packet, like a parrot packet of oh, right. tablets. Yes. And it was yeah, something sure. like uh, one chicken soup taken per day or whatever. And, and, oh. and I thought that was great because it's actually, it's reflecting, I think, as art should, what's going on yeah. within society. Yeah. And the, do we just simply make food a reductionary thing? Or mm. um, So I think yeah. there's a lot to be said for modern art, but... I think the issue might be for some listeners thinking, well, you know, <laughs> you can if, if you took a, I don't know, record around a modern art gallery, you'd hear, you know, yeah. every sort of sixth person saying, seventh person saying, well, that's not art, is it? You know, yeah. Well, yeah. How do you call that art? I could do that. You know, Tracy Emmons' bed, I could knock a bed up like that. You know, so. That's right. My daughter could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, what's your thoughts on that kind of. Yeah. I was thinking about Damien Hirst's food worker, and I just wondered if he did a Lauren sausage. That would have just been (laughs) (laughs) square packaging, you know. He's maybe never heard of Lauren sausage, you see, that's the thing. Maybe not. That would be a work in itself. (laughs) Maybe maybe that's what you do. I think I, I sense that through this go. conversation, there's something about lawn sausage coming through. It needs to be done by you, like um, one, <laughs> one yeah. that's decaying in a greasy frying pan or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, new ideas for artwork. I'm picturing the black square of the lawn sausage. A bit yeah. yeah, there's laws going on with that, and I totally get it. You know, I um, quite regularly take friends around galleries. I'm a bit of an evangelist for galleries, I have to be my, my job. As an artist, you know, and people say, oh, that's just a shock and formaldehyde. Anyone could have done that. Or 
that's just a glass of water on a shelf. That's not art. Um, and it helps to think about how art's changed in, in the last um, 200 or so years. So we get to a point where an unmade bed is up for a national prize worth £25,000, you know, and how that fits al- alongside how we think about art historically as paintings. Um, helpful to think about how, as we pull out of that Enlightenment movement, as, as art becomes more modern, as it responds to what's happening culturally and philosophically, as uh, there's a general suspicion towards institutions uh, in and of themselves and, and rules of the past, that as we, we question you know, the institutes of the church, for example, and their relevance, that so the institutions of art are questioned as well. And, you know, artists would begin to ask, well, why does art need to be a painting? And, and why does it need to be uh, made in a certain way as a sculpture? Why can't anything be art? And there was a seismic shift in 1917 when the artist Marshall Duchamp put a urinal into an exhibition. And... Um, I wonder if folks listening might even be able to picture that artwork. And, and it's essentially, it's just, um, you know, it's a urinal that was placed upside down. And he called it a ready-made because it was an object that had already been made. Mm-hmm. He didn't make it himself. But in putting it in the gallery, it changes its meaning, changes its function. And we start thinking very differently about how art functions. Mm-hmm. You throw into the mix... Um, you throw into the human invention. So somewhere along the line, someone invents a, a photograph. And where historically one function of art is to show the natural world, you know, so a painter would go out into the countryside and make a beautiful painting of the mountains and the hills. Now photography is serving that function. So that painter is asking, well, what then remains for, for me? Um, what is the function of paint? Maybe paint becomes about something else. Maybe it becomes about paint in itself. And then you throw into the mix yet again two global wars, two world wars, um, where artists are using work as a form of propaganda, where artists are using work against the regime. Um, and all these, these events happen and art changes forever. And it, it leads us to a point where, you know, someone like Damien Hirst can make a, um, a, a sculpture that is essentially a shark in hmm. formaldehyde, very much in the tradition of Marshall Duchamp and the ready-made sculpture. Hmm. Um, and he makes a work that becomes about who we are as human beings and where we're going to and what is the difference between something that's living and something that's dead. All the questions that historically art is about, you know, who are we about, where are we going to, what, what are we here for, hmm. but doing it in a way that doesn't necessarily have to involve the traditional medium of paint and sculpture and things like these. And that brings me back to the point you made earlier on, that I think art is different in the sense that it is about communication, isn't it? And I think that you're right, putting something that's ready-made in, people would say, well, how is... Because maybe people are concerned about the actual skill element of that or the, you know, well, well I'm no good at art because I can't paint, somebody might say. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how much of it is about communication? Like if, I, if I sort of, you know, to what extent is this podcast art, for instance? Yeah. Um, I love talking about what art actually is, what the definitions or is a podcast art. Um, and of course it is. Uh, by definition, art 
you know, it comes from the Latin uh, term arte, uh, meaning skill, particularly meaning human skill. So by definition, making a podcast, if it's skillfully done, is art. You know, so is preparing a sermon, giving a sermon, so is making a, cooking a meal for your friends, preparing a Bible study, evangelism, brushing your teeth. Any kind of human activity that's done skillfully is then art. But, you know, definitions, particularly definitions of art, are they're slippery things, huh? They're slippery things. And, and art can be so much more than that. Art is, is the expression of the emotion. You know, art is the, the colour that, that describes our deepest joy. It's the, uh, it's the poem that gives you the right words to help you grieve and lament. You know, it's the political protest. Um, it's the joke. It's the asking of a question. Um, it's all of these things, and it can be none of these things at the same time. Uh, it's, it's a tricky one to, to pin down. But yeah. the podcast is, is art. Um, I think I... One of the, the more difficult question is, you know, is it any good? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it. Makes, but the if is yeah. the key. You can let us know. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, in my sort of late, in my layman's terms on this, as it were, I would sort of think of these things like podcasts and a uh, bit in more in the kind of what I would call the creative arts in terms hmm. of actually it's creating but I, I, and I know language is, is difficult and we can get caught up in hoops, but I think there is also something, I mean, when people attribute, you know, fine arts and, mm. and talk about sculpture and, and talk about various forms of art. So are we just, are we saying that art is broad, um, but actually there are terms that describe the forms of art? Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah, I would think of a definition like art as something like a, a circle or a sphere where there, there's definitely a boundary. There's a line at which there's stuff that's not art and stuff that is art. But the, the definition of art is so broad, it can encompass a variety of, of things. So, for example, something like a tree um, is not art because it's not made by a human being. It's made by God. And art is exclusively a human activity and you know we see, we see that in scripture that all the words for human activity uh, or human creativity are they're very different from the the hebrew and greek words for for creation mm-hmm. in terms of what god made so you know art is um, something that human beings um uh, make um so there's definitely a uh, you know a definition and what one could argue that a philosophy is not art that an idea is not art that art would need to be embodied in in something, yeah. And that that thing could be a painting or a sculpture, but it could also be a film or a podcast or a meal. But it, it's embodied in in something. Um, so there's a physicality, honest, isn't there? There's a sort of there's an act that relates to that idea. It's yeah, a, yeah, very much so. Being, yeah. Yeah, it's um, well an artifact. The, the word art is is brought is brought out of the word artifact, and an artifact is something that is rendered with human skill. Hmm. Um, but to be honest, yeah, I mean you can go around in hoops and circles, can't you, with definitions for for art? And I think it's more interesting to to think about well, what does the art do, and hmm. how does it function, and yeah. how does it change things, and how does it change you, and what do you think about it and what do other people think about it and and why does it matter and why is it 
valued and it matters because it's made by a human being and human yeah. beings matter. Can I slightly switch things? We're staying on the subject of art, but um, yeah, another quote by Damien Hirst, there are other artists available. <laughs> um, he says, um, immortality is really desirable, I guess in terms of images anyway. And it got me thinking about um, why we produce art. So we've thought about what is art, but why we produce art. And I wonder mm. whether what he's getting at there is, you know, obviously he's aware of his own mortality, but it's this yeah. sense in which um, we're gone and our images remain or our mm. albums that we've made remain mm. to some extent, to, depending on how many people engage with them. But yeah. it also got me thinking about, so why do we produce art? And also where are there mixed motives in us in terms of mm. are we producing it so that people will go, well, you're great, um, or, you know, okay, you've, you've died, but people are still coming and seeing your work in a museum. Mm. Yeah, yeah, lest we make an idol for ourselves and of ourselves. This, oh, I just find it so fascinating. Why do we do it? You know, why is there this urge to write a poem or paint something or sing a song. And you're a songwriter, Clive, of course. You know, where does that urge come from to take an idea that's floating around in your head and, and put it into a tune? Uh, and then for other people to listen to it and to sing along. And it's clearly something to do with the fact we're made in the image of a creative God. I mean, it's got to start there that we make art because God is a creative God and it reflects are, are, are being in his image. And you can kind of stop there. <laughs> so that, you know, that's it. We make art because God is creative and we bear his image. But we can dig into it a little bit further and think, you know, I think back to those remarkable cave paintings in the south of France and in Lascaux, made 15 to 20,000 years BC. And I mean, who knows exactly what was going through the minds of those human beings as they as they made those marks on the wall. Um, and one of them is just, you know, it's an image of a hand and the, um, the human has put pigment in their mouth, um, which was a kind of soil. And then they spat it out like a spray over their hand and it makes a sort of negative impression on the wall. And well, what does it say? If not, I am here, I exist, I make my mark on this wall, I'm a human being and I matter because I'm in this world. And art, when it's at its most raw and at its most human, is saying we are here, we exist and we matter. And the thing is, that's true. We do matter. We matter because we're made in the image of God. We have great dignity in the creation. And yes, we are broken and yes, we are fallen. And the art that we make reflects that brokenness and it can become an idol mm. and often it does. But art at its most core, it says we are human, we are here and we matter. And I think that's ultimately why many of us make art. Is there uh, mixed motives for you or artists that you meet um, in terms of, okay, I think that that's a very pure understanding of why a Christian might make art but to what extent are people concerned about how much the painting they've made is going to 
be worth and whether they'll sell it or to what extent are people checking how many streams they've got on Spotify and if you've got loads sure. there's a high but if you've got none then you're rubbish and why bother making music you know there is a bit of a seesaw in terms of our own ego involved in that isn't there yeah yeah you're always aware of your audience when you're making a painting I imagine the same when you're writing a song as well who's it for and how they respond to what I'm doing and of course you know you want your work to reach as many people as possible because you, you think that what you're you're doing has some traction and some some uh, some value so you're aware of these things and thrown into the mix is the fact that you've got to pay some bills at some point as well so you know an artist needs to eat as much as anybody else so um hmm. I'd make paintings at times that are mindful that will have more of a saleable currency about them. Um, but that doesn't make them any less honest. Um, it's still the work that I, that I believe is right to make at that time. And I'm really glad when people buy them and they agree and their way of supporting the arts is by buying, um, by buying artists' work. Um, yeah, and, you know, and an artist should never pretend to be Christ or even one of the apostles, we are flawed and we are broken. And mm. that finds itself into the paint as well. You know, that nervousness and that anxiety and that doubt. And that's all part of it as well. But I think that's one of the reasons that art is so great. You, you, can, you can see a fallen human in a work of art that's really great. But you can also see all these foibles and all these issues that the artist is yeah. trying yeah. to work through. And, and that way it sort of speaks for us, you know, it, it tells us about our own failings and mm -hmm. brokenness, as well as the things of value and dignity in us as well. Well, I think it's interesting because if you take music, for instance, a lot of uh, commercialization of that and um, what's intertwined with that is an understanding that if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a songwriter and you want to make an album and put it on Spotify, then that equates to you wanting to be famous. And I think right. that's, that's where there's a sort of twistedness in wanting to produce art and to be true to that. And then the commercialization of equating that to you wanting to become famous. So I remember, uh, I mean, I'm not producing as much music as I used to, but I remember um, when my kids were young and at, at the school gates, you know, people would say, oh, hey, you know, you've got an album. Oh, you should go on the X Factor. <laughs> you know, and it was as if, you know, the next stage, that if you've actually written songs and you can sing, that surely you'd, you'd want to be famous. You'd want to go on the X Factor. And, and I think that's maybe where some of the waters have got a bit muddied in terms of... Yeah, um, yeah. Not that you're ever going to produce like pure, pure art, as you say, we're not yeah. Christ. Um, but there is there is a definitely a tension there, isn't there, in terms of making money, but also what you produce and why you produce it. Yeah. The mixed in with that is the idea of the celebrity, you know, and how we make for ourselves idols of our culture. We, we idolise the individual uh, more so than we do the, the work itself I you know I think of how the composer Bach functions as a church worker employed by his church to make music the music was celebrated and sure he was celebrated mm. but the, the the kind of myth of a celebrity would have been very different in the time of Bach as it would have been now and uh, of course it's exaggerated now because of social media and because of greater accessibility 
not just to the work of artists, but to the artists themselves. So, mm. um, you know, an artist's opinion on something is now, it seems to be very important. Whereas in the past, it was the work of the artist that was most greatly valued. Mm. Now we want to know what Kim um, Kardashian has to say about politics. And, you know, we're interested in James Corden's take on, on Donald Trump at the moment. And, um, you know, we, we even asked Damien Hurst, uh, I was reading a piece about him on the weekend, mm. his position on, on white supremacy, you know, when he doesn't make work about that mm. at all. And that positions the artist in a strange and new place. It's a lot of pressure mm. for the artist then to have all the answers. Yeah, and maybe maybe too much pressure to... Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I think, I think um, there is obviously that element in which, as you say, people have got to put bread on the table, as it were, and mm. that's an important factor in terms of... Um, I, think, I think that's a really helpful thing to just very briefly speak about because I think you're producing art and selling it and you've got a family to feed. Other people are producing music, other people are uh, creating sculptures. Um, mm. Sometimes I think there, there's a lack of understanding, as it were, on the other side of the table that one would have to pay for such things, especially music right. these days. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's actually, hold on a minute, it actually costs money to make things. It costs time. Um, yeah. So I think there's definitely some way to go there, Ali, in terms of the appreciation of arts, in terms of this is actually somebody's profession and they take a lot of time yeah. in this, you know? Yeah, I'll tell you a story, Miss. And I was speaking at a Christian conference about three years ago and um, it was quite a large conference and they got me up on the stage and we were talking about art and we we're talking about how art serves as a vehicle for change in society, how... We can hear the voice of Christ through the voice of the arts and um, the influence that the arts have. And, you know, you can feel the, the energy in the room. Um, people saying, yeah, we, the, the arts are so important and we, um, we need to be supporting artists. We need to be praying for artists on the vanguard of cultural change. And the person interviewing me said, he asked me, he said, well, how can we best support Christians who are working in the arts? And my answer was immediate. And it went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> because I said, please buy a painting. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think they were expecting me to say, pray for us. And of course, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I asked for prayer. But if you want to see a Christian voice in the arts, you've got to buy a painting by someone yeah. who is a Christian or someone who's holding that voice. You know, how, how do we see a greater voice for things of faith on Netflix um, on Amazon and the BBC, well, by supporting those who are speaking for things of faith in that environment. Um, mm. You know, I think of the amount of times I hear pals at church moaning um, when they've gone to see a movie and how it didn't reflect a godly perspective. And I'll say gently, I hope, have you, are you praying for actors? Are you praying for directors? Mm. Are you actively supporting people who are making uh, work? We're not just talking about artistic propaganda, yeah, but art that has gravitas and credibility and that reflects the things of Christ. So, yeah, you yeah. want to you want to support the arts. Um, yeah, buy a painting. Well, well that, that's a, that's a good way to lead us towards a close. And I wanted to sort of flag up a couple of things in terms of how people can support uh, what you're doing uh, in Morphe Arts, but also what you're doing as an artist in terms of 
you just said how do you support artists by by paintings so where can people find out more information about Morphe Arts and how can oh, they support it? Thanks for asking that, Clive. Yeah, the first place would be online. Of course, like every other group, we've got, um, you can see the website, which is morphearts.org. And Morphe is a kind of strange spelling. It's from the, the Greek to form, to shape, particularly thinking about the new creation, the shaping of new creation, M-O-R-P-H-E. Um, you can find us on Instagram, as well, um, you can chat to your local friendly pastor, Clive Parnell, who's also one of <laughs> trustees uh, as well. And of course, as a charity, we function through the donation of kind individuals. And we are keeping supporting artists of faith, opening up a conversation about things of Christian faith in the arts. But the way that we can do that is because people partner with us and they, they offer a monthly gift to Morphe, they offer a one-off gift to Morphe and we, we value people's prayers and we value people's donations and that keeps us doing what we believe the Lord is calling us to do in the arts. That's great and in terms of your own personal work do you have a website or how does it work if can people see what what paintings you've got or have you sold all your paintings just now and you've got nothing left or how does that work? I'm really easy to find online if you google my name well at first up you get to a character in Doctor Who but underneath <laughs> that I'm there, and alistairjohngordon.com is the website. I'm on Instagram as well as alistair well, that's, that's a, underscore. That's a posh name, is it? Well, that's a posh name. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I like Ali. Uh, it's Alistair D. Gordon is what you need to be looking for online if, if, to find you, yeah? Alistair John Gordon. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yes. Oh, could we clarify that one? I said D. Gordon. <laughs> yeah. It's Who's John he? Gordon. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's some guy trying to be you, I think. Um, I don't know. He's out there somewhere. So, um, okay. So can people see your work on that website? Can they actually buy stuff? Or is it only at exhibitions that you can buy your work? Yeah, they, they, of course they can buy stuff. You can buy work through Instagram. And my more economical stuff tends to go on instagram it's about 200 pounds uh, a piece yeah um and then there's also I'm, I'm represented by a couple of galleries my my next exhibition is with a gallery called aleph contemporary and that opens in three weeks time and it's all new paintings that i've been working on yeah. since lockdown um and it's all online so it's not a real gallery it's a virtual gallery so you can visit the gallery from the comfort of your home in your armchair and that's how Aleph Contemporary opens on the 1st of July. Okay well that's great well that's good people can check that out um, and a little shout out to Cully who you work with um, yeah. uh, Nomas uh, Gallery in Dundee isn't it? Cully's involved in. Um, yeah Cully's leading the charge for Morphe in Scotland. Yeah this is a, a, a live gallery a real gallery in Dundee um, and we have regular exhibitions there under the Morphe Arts banner. Um, Cully's also developed a public gallery on the hoarding in um, down by the river there near the V&A called Sharing, Not Hoarding. Yeah. Um, yeah, so people can connect with that or, or connect with the Scotland Morphe group through yourself or through yeah. Cully. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, when, when we're allowed to move out of uh, our five-mile radius we yeah. can, people can go to dundee and have a look at that <laughs> yeah, that's right so um so that's great so well thanks so much for joining me today um if people want to get in touch um they can get in touch through 
the usual social media handles. We've yeah. got Little Breakfast on Instagram, Little Breakfast on Facebook, and Little Breakfast on Twitter. So please let us know if you are listening to this, if you've got any questions for uh, Ali. As a result of hearing this podcast, then please let us know. Um, Twitter seems to be the case uh, place for conversation a bit more. Um, so please let us know your comments or any questions for Ali. And uh, um, we'll get back to you or we'll pass that on to you, Ali. So it'd be great to have a bit of interaction from people. And sure, let, yeah. And let us know where you're listening. You know, could be listening in Indonesia, could be listening in Australia. Who knows? Could be listening in, in uh, Glasgow eating a lawn sausage. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Any lawn sausages in Indonesia? Let's hear about those. That'd be good. Very unlikely, I would have thought. Although it would be odd <laughs> if there's an expat greasy cafe in Indonesia, but you never know. So thanks so much for joining us, Ali. I really appreciate oh, your time. Thank you. Um, thanks, Clive. Thanks for the chat. Appreciate it. Is, is there a book that's coming out? One last plug at some point or not? There is, yeah. Gosh, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, it's coming out in April uh, 2021. So a long way off, but actually I've finished the, the, the draft on it. Um, it's with IVP yeah. and it's called Why Art Matters. Okay, so they can keep in touch on your website and find out more about that as well. And I'm sure that will be available in the usual places. Absolutely, your local friendly bookshop online. <laughs> Otherwise called Amazon. But exactly. other places are available, including Ivy. Yeah. Um, right, okay, thanks so much. And uh, as I say, um, get in touch if you've got any questions and really appreciate your time. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, Clive.